welcome to Cannabis Business Minds Podcast with your host, Simone Samaluka Radzins. Join me where I'll take you inside the ins and outs of this brand new and exciting business called cannabis. Connect with me on Calagia.com and follow us on social media as well. And here's today's show. Cannabis is awesome. If you're listening to Cannabis Business Minds, you're trying to do something in the cannabis industry because you either know that it's a booming industry, there's a ton of new opportunities on the job fronts, on the innovation fronts, and you know, if you're trying to hopefully make an investment on your investment. But one thing that we always forget is like, why is cannabis awesome? Like what scientific reason makes us enjoy cannabis or the those that are consuming cannabis why are we getting the relief that we need? And when you think about cannabis, all of it, the legalization of where we are today, it all started because patients needed access to medicine. Yes, cannabis is medicine. And this is the one thing that a lot of times people tend to forget. Um, and so today we get the opportunity to talk to Dr. A.D. Poe. A.D. Poe is one of the founders of Habu Health. Habu Health is a revolutionary tech platform that helps us understand the link between cannabis science strains and what it means for patients. So without any further ado, I cannot wait to get A.D. on our podcast. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Cannabis Business Minds. Honestly, cannabis and science is everything that I love, but everything I'm very intimidated by. And so I'm so happy to get you on the show so you can kind of talk about what you've been doing with Habu Health, talk about all the research that you've been doing because you've been just making a really important impact in the cannabis industry for the last few years. And so, right? I mean, like I was like, it's been more than a year. Yeah. You're doing a lot. And so, you know... Yes, I have a ton of questions to ask you, um, but I'm really just excited to have you on the show. So, Avi Poe, welcome. Thank you. Yes. So, well, what's, yeah, what's new? What's um, new with Well, I mean, like, I guess, I guess, yeah, like the reverse chronological order is is um, it's always an option. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, so we we have some preliminary data that we've collected from some pilot participants here in Oregon. Um, and we're actively raising funds to really um, build the big, beautiful tool that we need to put into people's hands. Um, so that's, we've just barely started fundraising in earnest so that, you know, we're, we're a software company. We're building a digital product so that people can provide feedback about what their cannabis did for them. And so the, our whole aim with this digital product is to be able to correlate which plant characteristics produce which outcomes in which people. And, you know, there's only one way to answer that question, and it's to collect a whole bunch of data from a whole bunch of different kinds of people using a whole bunch of different kinds of cannabis. So that's exactly what we're aiming to do. And, and the the partnerships that we have developed and the processes that we're, that we've outlined um, and all of the minds that are involved in this project all make it seem extremely feasible. And we're incredibly excited to be doing this kind of work. Um, You know, there, there are a lot of people who are interested in answering this question. You know, what, what strain is right strain for me or, you know, what product is good for this ailment? And, we quite frankly don't have the answers because we haven't done the work to figure out the answers to those questions. 
So that's exactly the purpose behind what we're doing is to get to the bottom of all that and make those recommendations not based on opinions or not based on the name of a cultivar, mm -hmm. but make that recommendation based on what chemistry is going to work for you. Yes. That was a very good way to like, this is what's happening and this is what we're doing. Talk to us a bit though, for those people that don't understand, like, why is this such a complicated task? Like if I, if I'm having blue dream, that's my favorite strain and I have it in California, that makes me feel a certain way, but why can you kind of explain right. and then why would that be different from California to Oregon to all of this stuff? Yes, absolutely. The reason that we exist and, and the, the people that we want to serve are those people who have been frustrated by the fact when they do go to Colorado or Washington from California or vice versa, and they do buy their favorite cultivar, they are disappointed because it is not at all what they expected. This happens almost all the time. Even if I go to the same dispensary and I buy the same product, and even if it came from the same cultivator, a lot of the times it's a totally different experience. And that, for a recreational consumer, that's you know, kind of a waste of money and it's frustrating, but for a medicinal patient, that is outright cruelty. So that's precisely what we're trying to provide is confidence that what you're buying is what you think you're buying and consistency that if you had that effect the last time that you can be guaranteed that that's the effect that you'll have again in the future. Um, there, you know, we know that, you know, the scientific literature tells us that at least 35% of the time, two products with the same name have absolutely no genetic or chemical relationship whatsoever. They've just been arbitrarily named the same thing. That's 35% of the time. That's a lot. That's way too much. Like imagine if like 35% of the time when you went to go buy bread, you came home with like eggs or something, <laughs> you know, like that's super frustrating. Yes. So, so yeah. So, yeah, it's huge. And, and, and this is also very well evidenced by our partners at Phylos Bioscience. So they do um, genetic testing on cannabis samples and they have this beautiful galaxy up on their website. Um, and the Phylos Galaxy, if you were to go in there and type in your favorite cultivar, you know, some of them are notoriously, you know, crazy. Like if you type in Blue Dream, it comes up with this massive map of all of these points that are completely like, it's, if, it's, it's like if it was a map of the United States, you've got one blue dream in Maryland and another one in Oklahoma and then two more in Seattle and then a bunch of them hanging out in North Dakota. So like which, which one is the blue dream? We, we don't really know because, you know, there's, there, is no, there is no standard. There's no consistency. People have just been saying, well, it, it didn't sell really well when I called it Platinum Kush, so I'm just going to call it OG Kush instead or vice versa. Wow. And so what do you think? I mean, so you're in Oregon, you're watching the adult use market kind of take off the medical market, not sure what's happening, but you know, when this is poised to be federally legal in areas with Canada and especially Europe, where it's a focus strictly on medicinal, where it's clearly GMP, where it's clearly going into, if I wanted to buy a bars bar in Oregon, in Portland, Oregon at a 7-Eleven, I should be able to buy that exact same Mars bar, right? So exactly what yes. you guys are doing. But, you know, that seems like a very big mountain to climb of You'll guide, you'll, you're the, the software, the platform, the technology, but how does that, like, what do you think, so this is a two-part question, what do you think the timeline is to get there to the ideal standard of the Blue Dream is not, is always centralized in North Dakota? Yeah. Um, and then 
how do you get there? Yeah. So the how is easy. It's through collaboration. Okay. It is only through collaboration and everyone doing their respective jobs to the best of their ability because us alone, there's very little value, but us combined with the genetic testing with high fidelity plant testing at the analytical laboratories, mm-hmm. with high fidelity analysis of which cultivating practices produce which consistent parts of the medicinally useful plants. So that whole cycle of everyone doing their part and combining data sets and sharing data sets and collaborating in order to move medicine forward, move science forward, and provide better services to the consumers. So the how is easy. The when is a little bit more tricky because that kind of collaboration takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of time. So it'll be relatively easy for Habu to, you know, kind of be like Netflix and say, oh, well, you like this kind of constellation of chemistry. Here's a product that just came into your favorite dispensary that has that kind of chemistry. Here you go. Go buy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that that'll be relatively easy. But in terms of how large of a data set do we need in order to test the hypothesis that these eight chemicals are the right chemicals for daytime pain relief, but not nighttime pain relief? You know that that's going to take that's going to take some time. It's going to take a couple of years for us to really have enough data to be to have statistically significant correlations. So so we we know that there is value in in this data as does you know the the entire you know from the consumer to the cultivator everyone can benefit from from knowing like which which kind of plants are going to sell to which kind of people yeah. that's really that's really valuable for the entire community yeah and then i was you know before this i was looking at habu and i saw a recent article an interview that you did and I mean, your research, it's like, it's always about why are you doing this? You know, like, what is your mission and why are you trying to help this entire thing? But cannabis is medicine. And so truly, if you're able to analyze like, hey, this is actually helping pain relief. Maybe you don't need to be on opioids. Hey, this is helping X, Y, and Z. You know, you can hopefully have people utilize Habu to get off of pain pills, to get off of yes. some things and to hopefully find a solution that could be viable for them. Absolutely. Cause that, you know, I think about people like my mom, you know, people who are still, you know, a little bit afraid of it. They're very intimidated by it. It's a totally weird, wild world to them. Mm-hmm. And they, especially without any doctor's supervision or even a, a doctor's approval, you know, they're, they're going against everything that they have believed for their entire lives. And they just have to take this huge leap of faith that maybe one of these 36 plants under the glass is going to work for them. That's a, that's a really big burden to place on someone. So to be able to, to instill confidence in them and say, Hey, like, we gotcha. You know, like we're, it shouldn't be about Mm self-experimentation. We should have the answers to tell you this is what can work for you. Yeah. So, so that's, that's always, you know, like the nature of my academic work has always been focused on the opioids. And I still, you know, like to this very day, that's the thing that keeps me up in the middle of the night is like, okay, how, how are people still surviving opioid overdose with the help of cannabis? You know, so, so that is of course, like, you know, my purpose in life mm-hmm. um, and, and pain relief, obviously, and opioids go hand in hand. So, so all of these things are, are equally interrelated in, you know, pushing us forward. 
Can you talk a little bit about your research right now and opioid and, you know, and what cannabis is doing? Because this is such a, and Eva, can you paint the picture of kind of the devastation that's been happening in the United States? Um, I mean, I just remember reading an article a few months ago about just teenagers in Ohio, and I'm not even sure if they were on synthetic opioid or what, but they look like zombies, and it's just really, really sad. It's this very pervasive epidemic that, you know, is destroying a lot. And so could you talk a little bit about kind of more probably the numbers, since I'm sure you know them, and kind of what you've been able to research? Yes. So the, for the first time in U.S. history, drug overdoses have surpassed both gun violence and motor vehicle accidents as the number one cause of death. So that alone is like an indication of how, how big this problem is. So for the first time in U.S. history, drug overdose is killing more people than guns. So if we look at the numbers, we have 91 people every day who are dying from an opioid overdose, and at least half of those deaths are from prescriptions. Not, we're not just talking about heroin and fentanyl overdoses. And for those, peop- those listeners who don't know what fentanyl is, it's a more potent, more powerful version of heroin. It's completely synthetic. It's not derived from the opium plant at all. It's, it's just manufactured artificially. But it is so powerful and it is so dangerous that even when police officers go into a house where fentanyl is being processed for street sale, if they put their hand on the counter or the table where the drug has been processed, Mm -hmm. they can have a fatal overdose just from touching the counter. The stuff is a total, total killer. So, so those 91 deaths per day, we're talking about an epidemic that is the scale of 9-11, 11 times per year. This is like massive, massive amounts of fatalities. And the, the cost to the healthcare system for, because of this epidemic is absolutely unprecedented. It is staggering. It's like $500 billion every single year is what this epidemic is costing our economy. So How much? $500 billion? $500 billion with a B. Every year. So, every single year. <laughs> and, you know, like prescription opioid... Um, uh, prescriptions for opioids have increased 300% since the 90s. It's just, if you look at every single thing, people are consuming more opioids right now. Um, there's like 160,000 new prescriptions for opioids every single day. 160,000? Yeah. There's like, there's enough opioids floating around this country for every single human being in the United States of America to have 50 pills to themselves right now. So this is, this is huge. Like there's, there, like this is, this is like nothing human beings have ever faced before in all of our history. But the good news is that cannabis has an incredibly important and powerful role in alleviating this crisis. And we started to notice this in 2014. There was a paper that came out that showed when a state enacts a medical cannabis law, their opioid overdose rate drops by 25%. And the longer a state has had a medicinal program, the bigger that effect is. So in California, it's actually 33% because it's been legal since 1996. Mm-hmm. So we, we don't completely understand the mechanisms there, but it's, it's something worth looking into. So if we dig in a little bit further, we notice that 
chronic pain patients, if they're given access to cannabis, they automatically reduce their opioid use by roughly half. And that has been replicated all over the country, in Israel, in Canada. This is, this is just what people do. If you give them cannabis, they just take half as many opioids. And if they're taking half as many opioids, then they're half as likely to end up with a fatal or non-fatal overdose. That's mm -hmm. just how it is. Just math. Yeah. That's <laughs> just math. So, and it's not just non-fatal over, or it's not just fatal overdoses either. Like the number of hospitalizations goes down. You know, the healthcare costs in those, in those states goes down. The, the, the Medicaid prescription drug costs in, in states with medicinal cannabis laws are like way lower. So all across the board, people seem to be substituting this less dangerous, effective drug for those dangerous drugs. Like it's, it's just people, people know that these things are dangerous and they're starting to, even without their doctor's guidance, they're starting to just take care of themselves on their own. Mm. Now imagine what that could look like if they were able to have that conversation with their doctor. If their doctor had a protocol to follow I said, oh, you're, you're dependent upon opioids? Okay, well, let's, let's institute this regimen. Let's reduce your dose by X percent per week until you get down to 30%. And at that point, let's reevaluate, da-da-da-da-da. Mm -hmm. We don't have that agreed-upon protocol. We don't have a protocol like that at all because the doctors are, you know, they're handcuffed. They can't even talk to their patients about this. When do you – and what needs to change for that to happen? Federal legalization? Yes, essentially. Even if it went to a schedule two, mm -hmm. that would be a, a dramatic improvement for the medical research and scientific communities because at schedule two, we can at least talk about the medicinal purposes. Mm -hmm. So, so that, that no longer makes the, um, like it, it no longer makes a doctor at risk for losing their American Medical Association license, right? It no longer makes them at risk for losing their DEA license because that's, that's essentially what this is. If they're, if they're found guilty of having a conversation with their patients about a federally illegal substance, yeah. the DEA revokes their ability to prescribe other medications. So that's why doctors don't have that conversation. They don't want to lose their DEA license. They don't want to lose their drug. They don't want to lose their medical license. So mm -hmm. if it is an accepted medical drug, then all of that goes away. That's interesting. I never knew about the, I mean, that's that risk factor for somebody. Of course they would be, even if they thought cannabis, you never know. Oh, exactly. wow. And that's, it's so sad because it's so, so so true for my colleagues. Like I work at a hospital and you know, like I go down to pediatric neurology. I'm like, Hey, what's up with this? Like, why aren't you guys talking to your patients about this? And they're like, you know, like we, you know, our, our institution reviewed it and the lawyers are basically saying like the risk is too high. We can't engage. So despite their, their personal feelings and despite their, their, their own knowledge that they've had to, to accumulate themselves, because of course they didn't get taught this in medical school. Exactly. So, so despite all that and despite wanting to do the most good and the least harm, they're completely handcuffed by the system. Mm. Are doctors handcuffed from providing, like, because I'm imagining, like I have to get CPE credits for my CPA license. Yes. Doctors and probably people that are practicing also have to get, you know, learning, right? 
are they prevented from going and doing a class on cannabis and the potential benefits? Like, are there other ways at least so it's kind of getting integrated? Like, what's the solution here to this? At this, at this point in time, to my knowledge, there aren't any CME credits mm. available for doctors. Part of that is that we don't have much to teach them. <laughs> like we really don't. And the, the reason we don't have much to teach them is that we would have to teach them evidence. And the evidence doesn't exist because it's a Schedule One substance. And it's a Schedule One substance because the evidence doesn't exist. So we're stuck in this catch 22 that we would love to be. I mean, I, I think that it would be reasonable to put together a very fundamental CME course about here's the endogenous cannabinoid system and here are the phytocannabinoids and mm -hmm. here are the, the molecular and cellular processes that happen when, you know, cannabinoids are introduced into a mammalian system. Like that's all very fundamental information, not particularly useful, mm -hmm. but you know, at least for, you know, for someone who's been practicing for 20 or 30 years and, and has absolutely no knowledge of this whatsoever, they would at least be able to like, you know, add two and two together for themselves when they have patients coming to talk to them about it. Yeah. There's some very fundamental things we can talk about. We can talk about routes of administration, onset time, duration, tolerance, you know, all that kind of stuff is pretty straightforward. And, and, you know, it would be nice if we had some CME credits, but to my knowledge, it just doesn't exist yet. Oh, interesting. Well, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope well, that, I hope that all your listeners hear this and they all write you in and they say, Hey, you can get CME credits here. Yes. I and I'm going to send it to you because that's what we need to push. I was speaking at a medical conference randomly, but it was like medical tourism in LA last year. And it was with all these physicians and they were shocked. They had no idea about cannabis. They're like, what? This is a thing. And I was like, but I was talking, you know, economic business, all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I don't know. That's a TBD actually, but clearly, yeah. I mean, you painted this very interesting picture where I'm like, gosh, it's a very, it's a very big uphill battle. Because yes. you're a researcher. And so for you to get funded, you know, to do the research. So imagine, so Habu, it's a data platform. So you guys are, you know, in your beta testing right now, which is super awesome. Piloting in Oregon, I'm imagining. Mm -hmm. Yes. And what's your kind of, just before I kind of go with this, like, what's your guys' plan? How long do you think you're going to be in beta? Like, what else? How can I help you on the podcast get more <laughs> people? Like, do you need people in California? Like, what's the beta kind of plan? Yeah, I mean, the beta really, um, the, the biggest, we have sort of the, the fundamental proof of concept accomplished. You know, we have, we have enough of a data set to come to investors and say, hey, this is totally feasible. We mm -hmm. have all of the partnerships. We have all the working, you know, bits. Like we have plants. Here they are. We have people. Here they are. Mm -hmm. All we got to do is get enough, you know, like enough software going to really make some powerful predictions. Yes. Um, so, so the biggest thing we, we really need to get over is just, we need, we need to get some money to pay the salary to make the coding happen, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so that's our biggest hurdle right now. And, and, you know, that's, that's sort of, you know, that this, clinical research or it's it's I would I would say it's less clinical research and more of a hybrid between personalized medicine and citizen science because it does require like 
involvement, you know, you have to, and we want to make it extremely rewarding and motivating for you to use. Like we want, we want you to be so excited to buy weed because you're so excited to provide feedback about the weed. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's our, that's our aim. We want it to be elegant and beautiful and just as easy for my grandmother to use and just as fun for me to use. So, so that's our aim. And, and that, that sort of clinical project is really, you know, uh, it, I, I may not have ever have had this conversation with you if I were able to do that kind of research with federal funding, but we can't, you know, and these questions must be answered. We have to understand which plant characteristics produce which outcomes in people. And there's no way to do that in, in the, in the framework that we have right now. It's just not possible to do that kind of work in the U S Israel, different story. I was going to say, yes. Are you going to go to Canada tech in 2018? Yeah, I very much plan on doing so. I didn't go this past year. I had several other meetings, American Pain Society and some narcotic stuff. But this is like that and the International Cannabinoid Research Society. Um, those are my two top priorities for sure. Mm, yeah. Oh, my God. That'd be awesome if we got to see each other in Israel. I'm like, hi, oh, I'm really trying to go. So <laughs> no, but it's it's a little bit sad. But I mean, do you find that you seem very hopeful in all of this. You don't seem deterred. You don't seem, you're like, this is, these are the facts. This is the playing ground, but clearly we're going to find a solution. Yes. And part of the reason that I feel that way is that the federal government and academia have beaten into me a sense of perseverance. <laughs> you know, like if you don't have perseverance, you're just not going to cut it. So I have to, I have to keep going because it's the only way it is the only way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, when I see, when I see my Israeli colleagues give a talk or my Canadian colleagues, I'm like, oh, I'm so envious of your freedom to just pursue these hypotheses with absolute no restriction, so much flexibility, so much, you know, it's just, it, it is very frustrating. But I also see how powerful the US is in terms of our capacity to produce results from biomedical research. I fundamentally believe in our scientific process and the rigor with which we produce that data. Um, you know, like there, we have some of the best institutions in the world, the brightest minds in the world. And pretty soon all of those guys are going to be turning their eyes on this big, beautiful plant. And I'm going to be two steps ahead of them getting their grant money. <laughs> yes. No, but this is, I mean, this is so exciting. So you're looking for funding and then for you, you guys have been on the, I mean, this has been an idea that's now coming to fruition, right? Like you've tested it out, you, you're in the beta and now you're seeking, you did proof of concept, now you're seeking funding. So what, how has the journey been as a business owner, as a founder, you know, from the idea to, you know, building out the initial financials, how we met to actually now hosting these awesome, you know, intellectual, I don't want to say parties, but gatherings in Portland mm -hmm. to discuss this stuff is like talks. Tell me about the journey. It's, it's been a wild ride. It really is. And I, you know, most of my life, like I really suffered from imposter syndrome, which I think is quite healthy, you know, as a, as a scientist, because you're always the most skeptical of yourself. And that's very useful in your early days of like, you know, making sure that you're conducting your experiments 
experiments with the absolute most rigor possible. And because of that imposter syndrome, I was like, I don't, I don't really know if my expertise has any value outside of this ivory tower. And I don't really know if like, if this was, if I could ever do anything else other than, you know, sit behind a microscope and this whole process. And, and thankfully Poe, the CEO of, of Habu, has been extremely instrumental in like really opening my eyes and, and getting me to introduce myself to different people and, and applying this type of expertise to an environment that I'm, I was not at all comfortable in or mm -hmm. used to. Um, but that process has been incredibly empowering and it was very, very fun you know, like having these conversations with patients, especially is just so it's so humbling. And I feel so, so grateful for the ability to just like, just plant one little seed of information that someone can take home and use to improve their life even just a little bit, you know, like, oh, hey, you probably are using a little bit too much THC. <gasps> Oh my God, you're right. And then their life has changed forever. Like how easy was that? That's, that's so, that's so huge. And then I think the, the other thing too is, you know, I never, I, I was a straight edge kid growing up. Like I didn't, I didn't drink alcohol. I didn't even smoke weed until I was like 25. What? And yeah. And, and I, I never ever saw like myself as a advocate or an activist or anything like that. And then the, the further I got along in this and the harder, the taller the barriers were to getting funding and, and having people take my work seriously, you know, they, they finally take it seriously now, but for many, many, for like a decade, it was like Fox News knocking on our door, giving us a hard time about wasting taxpayer dollars. So, mm -hmm. you know, like getting, getting through those barriers and, and getting to the point where I'm like, you know what, this is. I am going to call my senator like they need like there's this bill that could completely change how I conduct my research and how difficult it is for me to do that. So I'm going to call my senator and I'm going to tell her like, hey, you need to vote on this bill because it really, really matters. Mm -hmm. And then being able to take the findings that I've compiled over the years and literally put them right into Earl Blumenauer's hands. And then he goes to Congress the, the following Monday and he says it in front of the entire Congress, like here's all the ways that cannabis can help alleviate the opioid crisis. Hallelujah. <laughs> that I like, that's I, a win. <laughs> I cried. I was so grateful that all of this stuff inside my brain finally had a place in the world that could do something, do something mm -hmm. useful. So, so it's been a very, very incredible, wild journey. And I'm, it, it is not at all what I expected out of my life. And I'm pleasantly surprised and delighted by it. No, I mean, I just can't wait to see you guys. I mean, you're just at the very beginning. Yeah. You know, and it's like, you've, you're, you've gotten, you've changed so much, but literally like the sky is your limit with what will be happening. Yes. I've got one little technical question about, um, about Habu. Yeah. Because everybody's using edibles and concentrates and all that stuff. And so how, when you guys are looking at like the genetic mapping and all of this, well, not the mapping, but I guess how it relates to feelings, how do you guys integrate, you know, vape pens or concentrates and well, as well as like edibles? Yeah, that's a really good question. So it, what, what it really depends upon is the certificate of analysis. So that certificate of analysis it can be just, yes, it passed, it has no pesticides, 
or it can be that it contains, you know, like a very, very large data set of information in terms of which cannabinoids are there in which relative um, expression, which terpenes are there. And so with a lot of the distillates and a lot of the extracted products, none of that other stuff exists. All it is is THC or maybe THC and CBD if we're talking about like a CO2 extracted product or something. Mm-hmm. With an RSO extracted product, that's a little bit different because you are getting the, the full spectrum of cannabinoids. So as long as that information that's coming from the manufacturer, as long as that information in the certificate of analysis is complete, then we can begin to derive that and, and those answers, derive those correlations between what the person feels and, and what was in what, what the ingredients were. So, so as long as that information remains intact all the way through to the point of sale, then yes, we can figure that out. And, oh, and wow. you know, like a, like a vaporizer cartridge, you know, that's a relatively simple preparation for the most part. And it's relatively consistent, you know, that they have a, they have a very, very good idea of exactly what it is in that little cartridge. So, so that in some ways is easier for us because it's a smaller, more controlled input into the system. Um, we're really excited about the flower because it's, it's just, you know, the wild west. There's, yes. there's just so much complexity. There's so many genetic freaks out there and so many amazing cultivators who are so good at raising like very, very niche different products than, than the whole rest of the world. So, so that's where the most exciting stuff for us is. Isn't it? Oh yeah. And how many strains do you think are out there? Um, let's see. Uh, Phylos has, I think, over 2,500 in their galaxy, and that's just the ones that they've tested. So cultivated varieties of cannabis around planet Earth, uh, 10,000 maybe? I have no idea. Wow. Yeah. And then how do you think, just going back to the Blue Dream thing, you know, the North Dakotas and all that, how do you think – like who will win the blue dream battle? Like at what point if there's <laughs> 10 people that are like, I've got blue dream. Like at what point someone's like, yeah, this is blue dream. And then yeah. second part of that question, are we going to continue with these names? Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, I, th- I think that there's room for both. You know, I think that because of the, because of the history of, you know, the way that cannabis has evolved, you know, through the black market and then back into regulation, um, there will probably be some manner of that throughout all history. So even if we get to the point where we just have, for instance, seven different classes of, Mm -hmm. you know, cultivated cannabis, those classes might fall into the hemp variety, the skunk variety, the OG variety, the CBD variety, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm just sort of throwing stuff out there. But I have a feeling that there may always be some nod to that. And then I also have a feeling that, you know, just like a wine, there's always going to be branding, you know, people are always going to call like this particular kind of canatonic or ACDC, they're going to call it Corazon, because mm-hmm. that's, that's their version. That's their version of a Pinot. That's their version of a Carmenere, you know? So, so I think that there's going to be some, you know, and it's going to be a while before we can all get together and have an agreed upon taxonomy because the genetics are only one component of it. So even within the galaxy, you know, like you're asking, how do we know which blue dream is the blue dream? 
at some point there are going to be a bunch of clusters, a bunch of different products or, or samples all in one little spot and then a bunch of other ones that aren't. So it's probably the ones that are most cl closely related that at some point we're going to have enough of those to go, okay, these guys are just, you know, full of garbage. This, this little cluster right here, that's the real blue dream. Um, so, so, so that's that, but the DNA only tells us what the, what the plant is capable of. It doesn't tell us what the plant is. So I want you to imagine like if you were born in the Netherlands mm -hmm. and you grew up in the Netherlands and you met your clone who is now sitting in California recording a podcast, mm -hmm. like the two of you would be very different people despite the fact that you have very identical genetics exactly. and the plant is no different. So the plant, although it's genetics can sort of steer it in the, in the direction of producing X amount of THC or absolutely no CBC or a ton of CBG or whatever, the environment, the growing conditions, the soil pH, the nutrients, the spectrum of sunlight, outdoor, indoor, elevation, you know, all that kind of stuff, curing conditions, you know, whether you harvested a week early or a week late, all of that stuff has an impact on the chemical phenotype. So the genetics, that's one stable, unchanging data point. This is the genotype but the chemistry can be affected by the environment and by the genetics. Oh, wow. That's, it's so fascinating. Oh my God. That's a very good analogy. I was like literally thinking of my twin in, in the Netherlands. Because it's so <laughs> true. You're right. Like genetics is one thing, but environment, nature versus nurture almost. Yep. yep exactly. Oh, fascinating. Okay. Are you ready for the speed round? Ready. All right. What is one thing you would tell somebody that's just getting into the industry? Just getting into the industry. Do your homework. There is so much information on the internet and it's very easy to dig around for a couple hours and come up with some discrepancies and just keep track of those discrepancies. You know, it's, it's really, you know, it's really, due diligence is incredibly important to, to step into a conversation and just be completely obvious that you don't know what you're talking about and you have you have you have no place in this conversation like there are so many people that do have a place in that conversation that if you want to be there you gotta earn it yeah oh that's a good one. Oh, that was really good what drives you what's why do you hustle why do you do what you do i absolutely hustle for the patients every single day i have some email that comes into my inbox and i you know, like this may be a terminal cancer patient and it may be some parent whose kid has epilepsy and, and every single day, like, I don't care what their weird diagnosis is. Like I will dig to the bottom of the depths of PubMed to try and find an answer for them because they have nowhere else to go. You know, like every single day I go to the laboratory and, you know, like when I'm in St. Louis and I'm there, you know, working in the, in the lab, I'm spending 12 and 14 hour days in the lab because that work has to get done and I'm the only person that can do it. And that the whole reason that I'm there is for my grandmother and for my mom and for all those other people out there who need a safe, sustainable medicine that's not going to kill them. And that's definitely cannabis. Thank you. Thank you, Noah, seriously, for all that you do because people need you. 
Thank you. We need a protege, though. <laughs> Where's your phone? <laughs> All right. Last but certainly not least, what's your where do you want to be? And you know, normally it's one year, but I feel like with research, let's say in three years, like where do you want to be in three years with your personal goals and your Habu Health goals? Like where do you yeah. see it? Um, actually one of my personal goals is to have a protege. I would love to be able to bring people on. I have people in the lab that I can trust to sort of hand over day-to-day operations and, you know, surgeries and, you know, statistics, and I can trust them with that. And that's a huge burden off me, but there are a lot of other things that I have to do that I shouldn't have to do. I, I really need to, to, to be able to train people and to, to bring people, you know, under my wing to help support this greater work because there's too much of it for me to do by myself. So I would love for us to grow to the point where I can help, you know, I can enable someone else's career and, and bring them into this path of servicing the, the consumers and, and the patients. Um, and that would in turn free me up to be a more well-rounded human being you know, I definitely have taken far less vacation days than I have in previous years. And I, you know, spending, uh, you know, more nights, you know, in front of my computer until midnight or 2am if it's Israel, you know, conference calls. Um, but, um, but I, I would like to, I, w- I think it's important to have a balance in your life. And, and I definitely see these cycles of you know, grinding cruise. And I'm, you know, in three years, I think, I think it'll be time for a cruise for a little while. (laughs) I can't wait to see what Hobo's up to in one year, honestly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Yes. And really, if people are listening, check out Habu Health, their website, contact them. They're definitely looking for funding. They are a great team. I watched their pitch in Portland, Oregon. It's great CEO, great researcher, great co-founders, and overall, you guys are making such a good impact in society. So thank you so much for being part of the podcast. It's my sincere pleasure, Simone. Thank you so much for having me on. I'll see you soon. All right. Bye. Bye. Wow. What a great interview with Dr. A.D. Poe from Habu Health. So for me, the craziest takeaway is the alarming statistics that come with this epidemic, that opioid, is, the opioid crisis and painkillers and all this stuff. The fact that 91 people die every day, every single day from a drug overdose that cannabis right now has, you know, data that shows can help alleviate that. That is the issue, you guys, that we've got to continue the fight for, for federal legalization, uh, you know, to deny access to medicine that can help many people and to, you know, really curb an opioid epidemic that is, you know, making a disaster upon our nation. You know, we got to remember, this is why we need to legalize cannabis. Um Thank you all for listening to this amazing episode of Cannabis Business Minds. My name is Simone Samaluka Radzins. I am your podcast host. I would love your comments. I would love your feedback. And I would love to know what other episodes you'd like to hear. You know, definitely we've got the Facebook group. A lot of you guys are not as active as I'd hope. um, But definitely, you know, let me know how I can help you either if it's there or email me, simone at calagia.com. K-A-L-O-G-I-A and check out Calagia. We've got a ton of free resources. You know, that's where we house the podcast so you can see all of the podcast show notes, the links and, you know, meet some of the people that you're hearing, um, you're hearing on the podcast. So thank you all so much and have an excellent day wherever you are. 
Thank you for listening to today's show. This is your host, Simone Simaluka-Radzins of Calagia.com. I hope that you find this episode entertaining and insightful. My goal is to educate all of you about this exciting business because knowledge is power. If you haven't already, head on over to Calagia.com to connect with me and to meet other business leaders in the professional cannabis community. Also, if you like this, please go into iTunes and leave the Cannabis Business Minds podcast a five-star review. See you next episode.